All right. So hi, everybody. Gavin Day here. Um, if you're a fan of Canadian soccer, you might have read some of my stuff. I'm a freelance journalist. I've written for the likes of the Canadian Press, Major League Soccer, uh, sort of you name it, of a Canadian soccer website. I've, I've written for it. Uh, I also worked for Canada Soccer for two years. Uh, so the one thing that I gained is is how interesting it is to travel because we like to talk about soccer as being the global game and if all you ever experience is watching it at home there's so much more that that you can't see or smell or taste or experience and so the most rewarding part of of covering the game for me has been that travel and uh fortunately i i have a a co-host here who who shares that same belief with me he's you know him from the score it's uh dan rouse hello how are you doing doing well how are you yeah hang on let's just get through important matters first there we go. There we go. Oh, lucky. So, I, can't, I, uh, I can't believe you, you told me before we started doing this you've got an empty fridge right now. I do. I do. Well, there's some wine, but I'm not going to pop a bottle for that. So, I, uh, yeah, I polished off my last can literally last night. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I tried to, wanted to make that a thing, but uh, clearly I didn't plan this well enough. No, it's, it's impossible. Well, obviously, we're recording this during the coronavirus pandemic, and... I just find it hard not to kind of reward yourself at the end of a day of, uh, you know, isolation by giving yourself a few beers. It's difficult not to do that. Couldn't agree more. What are you drinking tonight, just to make me a little bit more jealous? Well, I normally like to drink, um, you know, local stuff. We've got some great breweries around Toronto, but I'm actually, uh, my local LCBO has got a great non-Canadian selection, so I'm actually drinking Brewdog's Hazy Jane right now. All right, then. Brewdog, Hazy Jane. There you go. A little free advertisement. So, Dan, yeah, you are like me in that you you love the travel aspect. What's what's missed when people uh, when people just know the game from watching it on their couch at home? It's like you're saying, it's, it's, the, it's the sights, it's the smells, it's absolutely everything. And for me, it's more the stuff around the game than the actual game itself. That's a real experience for me. I mean, you see some... Incredible, even like you know, say if you think of boring games I've been to, um, you know, I went to one in Croatia where it was awful. The ultras were um, having a protest, a silent protest, so it just wasn't as exciting as it should have been. But I still saw a bloke with an incredibly hairy neck, so that was a nice, interesting takeaway from that one. Um, and then I'm trying to think, you know, one game in Hungary, they just had some really, really interesting snacks going on there. I mean, you always see something like a little bit an insight into the culture you wouldn't obviously see. Um, because, you know, when you get these guidebooks and they're kind of like, oh, live like you know, live like a local, do what the locals do and stuff like that. I mean, I've never been a fan of that because, you know, you go somewhere and it's invariably, you know, lovely. You know, you go to like a fishing village or a, a nice sea view or something like that. But, you know, then some bloke called Dazza or Gazza will stand in your view scratch the arse of his Union Jack shorts and probably let out a belch, a big thick belch of like, you know, whatever the local lager is. I mean, there's always something ruined by it. Whereas I feel, you know, with football matches, you will see some people who, you know, aren't locals and stuff like that, but they're just geeks like yourself and they're there just to take in the culture and not to be, you know, you don't get that hooligan faction at games abroad, you know, unless you go with an away end. So it's, yeah, if you go as a tourist... You can kind of just, you know, sink into the background and just observe, and it's just fascinating the things you see. 
so yeah, we obviously started, we're, we're going to start with our very first episode, not where you might think, uh, Dan, of course you can tell by the accent is, is from the UK, Shrewsbury's own Dan Rouse, uh, Manchester City supporter. I myself have, have been to Islington many a time as a tried and true Arsenal supporter. So we're going to take a hard right turn from your established football places and what we might do each episode is take one place we've been to and essentially ramble on and have a chat about that and uh hopefully you'll find it engaging but for today we're going to go with a country that we have both been to to a game none other than bulgaria (laughs) yeah where where else (laughs) would we start of course and uh so dan let's start with you you uh I remember reading this piece. You wrote a piece uh, for the score. Uh, so just let's let's start there. How did you how did you end up there? Well, it was far from a cultural trip or a work trip. It was actually um, my best friend back home, Ross, uh, contacted me. He knew I was coming into the country, um, and he just said, "Look, you know, when you're over, you know, I'd like to have my stag do." He got married before, but he hadn't got bothered getting around to doing a stag do and he said i want you to arrange it and he said just find me a place where the beer is cheap um and the beer is certainly cheap in bulgaria um so yeah i, I dug around and i was you know we we're considering porto which would probably been a much better idea it's supposed to be beautiful there but we landed on sofia uh got an easy jet over because i was in the uk at the time you know we had a good time we stayed in airbnb you know, it smells exactly how you'd expect it to smell after, you know, guys in their 20s and 30s have been on the beers constantly and having horrific diets. Um, but on the last day, um, you know, as I usually do, I kind of sort out a football match. And, you know, rather than one of the big clubs, you know, Siska Sofia or one of those ones, I stumbled across Slavia Sofia and there was a game going on. So I managed to entice the... Uh, a few lads have flown home by then, so I managed to entice the you know six lads who were left over into a couple of taxis, and we went over there. And uh, yeah, I mean, well, you read the article. Uh, I, I wasn't supposed to write anything about it, but I was kind of inspired by the trip about the disparity in wealth in European football after going there. And yeah, let's just say it was a bit of an eye opener that match. And you, uh, from well, first things first, what's the what's the facility like, and what was the entry? How much did a ticket cost? I think um, I, I look back at the article that I wrote, and uh, I said it cost three dollars a ticket, and that was in US, so it might be a touch more Canadian uh, if we've got more Canadian listeners. So, uh, but yeah, it was a bargain. But then the thing is, you know, we turned up maybe about five or ten minutes before kickoff. If we were a little bit late, it would have been free because the guys checking the tickets just cleared off after about a minute after kickoff. So, you know, we missed we missed a trick there. And then, um, yeah, interesting facilities, let's say. I mean, what do you call those, like, temporary buildings? Do you call them a porter cabin? Uh, portables, essentially, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, like, that, the club shop was one of those, basically, <laughs> but it was closed on a match day. So, like, you couldn't buy any merchandise. <laughs> that was, like, out of the question. There was, like, a, you know, one of those fold-out tables in the stands. It had some snacks on, but, you know, nothing that took my fancy. And then... So the only place really where you could buy something that you wanted, like a refreshment or something like that, was this like peculiar, just like it's just like a corner shop inside the stadium. Um, no, no memorabilia of the team whatsoever. It was just like you just went to a, te- you know, a random shop on the street. So, you know, got got like a, a coffee out of a machine and that was it. And yeah, it was, uh, I don't know, I suppose the elephant in the room though with Bulgaria that we should probably mention is the... Uh, the reputation that Bulgaria kind of forged for themselves before 
I went over there, which was obviously the England match where it got abandoned, well, suspended a couple of times due to racist abuse from the stands. And it's, it's kind of, Bulgaria's been tarnished by that since, I think. And, and well, obviously I'll share my own experience, which was in a completely different part of the country. But what was that like? Because I'll, I'll share what happened with the game I went to. The, the fans were, the opposition fans were essentially penned away. And I didn't notice any any racism or any of that. And there were, you know, African players on the field. And it was, you know, obviously a small sample size for me. But, you know, I go in to try to be aware of this sort of thing and try to you know sense that that vibe and i didn't hear anything which obviously i might have been a one-off but i was refreshed to see that yeah i mean the couple of lads i was with kind of inferred that maybe some of the fans might have been doing some unsavory salutes um i you know it's it's weird isn't it because like i wouldn't normally you know jump to that conclusion because i just maybe think too well of people i suppose but I can understand why their minds went that way because Bulgaria's forced that reputation for themselves and you know a small minority has ruined it for everybody else and I think and yeah it was the same situation the um it was Cherno Moore who were the away team and they were really penned in the far corner um there weren't too many of them um they actually went wild at this um because of a last minute goal absolutely phenomenal overhead kick I mean like the game itself you know I could describe it for days this I mean there were trees sprouting through the stands um you know it, the metal was all the metal of the seats was all twisted around the trees grown you know the trees had grown around the metal it looked like the tree you know the seats were inside these trees it looked like they've been there for decades you know really it was crazy and then there were like old picnic benches which must have been there when this stadium was really in its pomp but now they were just like splinters and twisted metal um around the pitch um you, it was probably a running track before around the pitch, but it was just mud. There was a couple of rusty cars. There was a digger. There were two big piles of sand, some puddles. And I think the puddles were actually the ball boys because they're the only ones that kind of collected the ball, you know. But it was, it was really, you know, as I said, I was inspired to write something on the financial disparity of European football after this, just because, you know, you look at the riches of the Champions League, um, you know, that kind of franchise football where. You know, everything looks the same and everything's lavish and everyone's got a £100 million you know, centre-forward. And then you go to this place and it was absolutely worlds apart. Well, and what's amazing about that is, you know, it's always possible that, uh, you know, one of these clubs could, could qualify for Europe, the Champions League, whatever. And, uh, well, I mean, there was once, uh, speaking of Bulgaria, there's can- Canadian goalkeeper Milan Borjan, who used to play in Ludogorets, who were regular winners, and he's playing Liverpool. And it's, you know, romantic in a way, but at the same time, it also is, it's it's eye-opening. And, I mean, it makes me think of sort of what what I was thinking of when I noticed watching the highlights is that every single match shirt or just about had some sort of betting house sponsoring them. And of course, you know, you go in with this world that we are aware of, of match fixing and this and that, but uh, again, trying to go in to be aware to, to see what's going on. But um, it's just so weird to see everything is, is with betting and, um, you know, the game I went to, 
I couldn't really tell if anything was thrown, but um, it, it, it's just light years different from, you know, your Fly Emirates jersey sponsorships or your lavish cars or, or you know, the high-end high end brand names on things. Yeah, the game I went to, there was like, you know, plenty of betting sponsors around the stadium. You kind of wondered, you know, what kind of mileage are you getting from this sponsorship money to pay for your advertising holdings? And it's obviously because, you know, most of the people who are watching this are... You know, at home in front of their betting platforms, um, the you know the the soccer way attendance I'm looking at now says 230 people at this game. There certainly weren't that many people, um, and even if there were, it's entirely unsustainable. Um, you know that this league, well as it is in its current format, and you know as for the game itself, um, some quite technically gifted players out there actually. There was this Brazilian player who balanced the ball in his head for a few seconds, just taking the piss out of his opponents, which was good fun. Um, there's this very, um, probably the one, maybe slight indication of uh, maybe betting scandal going on. I don't know. I think it might be because he was rubbish. Um, but there's this enthusiastic big lad with like shaven hair. He's like a, like a grown-up Bobby from King of the Hill or something like that. And uh, he just missed every opportunity on offer. And it was like honestly, Christian Benteke would have scored these. And um, yeah, and so that was maybe the bit of you know maybe there was a, he'd been paid off. I don't know, but uh, you know as I said, the goal was scored by some guy called Ismail Issa, who I believe is a, a Bulgarian international, and it was uh, in something like the ninety-first minute, just absolutely beautiful overhead kick. And you know while there was a bit of technical ability, there was no indication that anybody on the pitch could do something like this, and it was just stunning. And there was probably about forty away fans, but it really made it roar. It was a uh, you know, the game wasn't magnificent before that, so it was a real great send-off for the game. It would be remiss if we didn't... I'll, I'll interject at this point, and I would be remiss if we did not bring off the likes of Dimitar Berbatov and, of course, Hristo Stoichkov, the the great Bulgarian player. So they have churned out talent, but, yeah, you mentioned the few hundred fans that were in attendance. Uh it just feels more like it's a one-off or an aberration, more like there's a, a massive talent pipeline coming through Bulgaria. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Ludogorets before. They are they were quite late to the party, but they're certainly one of the giants in that league now. And then you've got CSK Sofia and Levski Sofia. They're the huge, huge three. They're the ones that are developing most of these players, and they'll lose most of them when they're like 17, 18 to a big... European powerhouse and otherwise it just seems like the the league's dragging along really I mean yeah you mentioned some you know, great Bulgarian players there and there have been some in the past I mean a couple of my personal favourites are ones that have you know obviously passed through Man City I mean to varying degrees of success though um, there's one called Martin Petrov who was a great player really really fast sometimes probably not the best stamina I saw him with his hands on his knees you know blowing chunks a couple of times after a few of his runs, but a really, really good winger. And I think he really became part of the, the North West community when he moved to Manchester because he later moved to Bolton. And then he was actually playing non-league football, I think, with Curzon Ashton after that, if I remember correctly. And then um, another player that I really liked was uh, Valery Bojanov, who uh, you know really started to make a name for himself in Italy. But he kind of moved to Manchester City as a injury-prone player, and it didn't get any better for him. Um, I remember seeing him you know, score an absolute thunderbolt in one friendly. It was fantastic, but he was just... Injuries just really cut short his career, and I thought Bojanov could have been a real, real big talent from that country. 
Interesting. Yeah, of course, the with Bulgaria, they had the one-off, the fourth-place finish at the 1994 U.S. World Cup, and feels like, especially the experiences we've had, it's it's a completely different world from that high that they had. No, I mean, like, let me tell me about your game you went to. I mean, all mm. I know about Dunaf Rus, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, is... Rusa. Rusa. I talked to... Um, Dimitar Evtimov, who uh, who plays for Accrington Stanley, and he's played a few times for Bulgaria, and he was telling me uh, that basically they weren't sure if this team was going to make the end of the season due to their financial worries there. I mean, were you given the indication that this was a team with literally pennies in their back pocket? Well, uh, Rusa, for those who might not know, Rusa's just on the other side of the Dan... I think it's the Danube. It's well, I'll just say to hedge my bets, Rus is on the other side of Romania, essentially. You cross a river to get over. I got in by flying into Bucharest because I had uh, I had uh, airline miles to use, and I found that you could fly to Brussels from Toronto uh, with the airline miles. And usually when you have the miles, you still have to pay the fees and the taxes in this. But this one time, it was $30. And... And so I go, I snap that, and then I snap a cheap flight on Blue Airlines, which is a Romanian low-cost carrier, um, which will probably be gone by the time this <laughs> the COVID-19 situation ends, because who would fly that anymore? Um, anyway, got from Bucharest to Rusa. I, was, I actually did a radio story for, for CBC Radio, because it was the uh, World Volleyball Championships, and I was covering some of Canada. So that's how I ended up there. It's a... You would never say, oh, I'm going to Rusa. Um, it's not a bad little city, nice little town square. And yeah, I was there and I had to schedule and I look and I see, oh, Dunav Rusa is, is playing this weekend. And so, yeah, like you, ticket cost next to nothing. Um, I get into the stadium, which half of it was maybe usable at the, the Gradsky Stadion, it's called. Um, I mean, the ha- seating was you know, just on one half of the field, the opposition support is literally in a pen down at the other end. And just imagine going to a football game and going, all right, into jail you go. I mean, it's not like they were in, you know, we're going to charge at the home supporters in any way. They had a long way to go. They really had to want it if they were going to get over there. Um, but one thing that forever will stick with me is um, I walk in and, the warm-up music is, well, actually, it was just after an international break, and the boys are back in town, was playing over the loudspeaker during warm-ups, and then there was the the walkout music for the professional wrestler Triple H, and it's, you know, it's about playing the game, and, all, and I'm like, yeah, that's we're about to play the game, that makes sense, and I'm going to play this to you now, I'm going to actually cut this in, I'll play this to you now, this was the music they walked out to. It's just this Soviet chic, you know, I wanted to run through a wall after hearing, you know, go fight for the motherland. Oh, it was incredible. 
I, I mean, I'd come in, I'd walk out and go, oh, oh my, <laughs> it's just, you almost expect the goose-stepping, uh, you know, Soviet soldiers to come marching up the street to that, and, uh, you know, sort of, sort of hooked after that, and just sort of keeping my eyes open, looking around the game. I went to the team name on the ticket, the crest, of course, I can't read Cyrillic, so I don't know what the hell it's, it was, but they shortened it to Etar. Um, and again, when sort of talking about, you know, signs of, of the worries of match fixing, and Etar went up 3-0 in the first 20 minutes, goals in the 10th, 14th, and 20th minutes. Uh, and then the second half, or sorry, end of the first half, the home side pulls one back, uh, they score on the other side of halftime to make a game of it, and then there was a penalty in the 71st minute. So 4-2 was the final. The manager was sacked that night. Um, so I was watching the highlight shows, and you know, you, obviously I don't understand the language, but I was sort of looking at it had the graphic of it very much had the graphic of you know club statement on the firing of, and you know they played out the statement, and I'm like, okay, he just got fired. Um, and and yeah, just the experience of it too. Uh, there's no club store. You pay at one en- you know one entrance of the field. You just walk in, and I think they had a couple bags of chips and. You know, I ordered a, a, just a Coke because I was, I think it was still a little jet lag. But, uh, you know, they just have a two liter bottle and they pour it into a plastic cup and say, here you go. And I go, okay. Um, and then I don't know if this was your experience at the game you went to, but I get into the stands and I don't know if people were marking the seats they wanted or what, but they lay down a piece of newspaper that they were going to sit on. Yes, that's it. But I, I thought because of the ground I went to, I thought it was just because all the seats were dirty. But I didn't know if that was like a, you know, kind of countrywide were the seats dirty or do you think this is like a- yeah i mean they were your typical kind of hard plastic bucket seat that weren't very comfortable but i mean yeah i mean they weren't you know overly grimy or anything they were just you know a little faded and i guess a little little tarnished with dirt but um yeah it was just the weirdest thing seeing all these families laying out their newspapers and uh it was just those little things where you sort of go okay this is similar but different than what i'm used to it's it's mad isn't it like you say the club shop that well, wasn't a club shop at all with you and you know, the one i was at there was no club shop and you just wonder like yeah you're in a bad situation over there i mean the uefa's financial fair play doesn't work you know all these finance they don't put enough money down to the bottom of the game like it's just it's just terrible but these clubs are also not finding ways to you know earn a bit more cash i mean even if you have a club shop and you overcharge for t-shirts, there'll be some daft tourists like me one day who'll buy a t-shirt. Oh, I would have bought a team kit, definitely, had I gone. Because, uh, you know, it's sort of a there's sort of a sky blue look to them. And uh, it certainly wasn't, you know, completely unappealing. But as especially as a souvenir, you're, you're, <laughs> you're going to get me buying a ticket. I think it was Joma was the sponsor. Um, and it was it wasn't a bad it wasn't a bad kit, but yeah, there was just there was just nothing. And, and sort of circling back to what you were saying earlier about uh, financial issues, yeah, I just read that too, where they uh, they might not have the money to to finish off the season, but they were languishing near the bottom of the league anyway. And uh, just sort of in my research a bit beforehand, this this team once or the pre the precursor to this team once actually played Roma in. Uh, uh, in 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 Bulgaria, they they had a home and away in a European competition. So you know, for top flight soccer, it felt <laughs> very not. I wouldn't say amateurish, but like we're trying to do the best with what we have, kind of. Yeah, I mean, with your you know maybe slight suspicions of match fixing, were there actually like any 
bits of play where you thought, oh, maybe that defender kind of gave the ball away a bit cheaply there, or you know, maybe they didn't bother jumping up for a header. Were there like examples of play where you thought, hang on, what's going on? Well, that's that's it. Not particularly. Um, you know, unless guys were just. I mean, it was some time ago, but yeah, there wasn't any minute of okay, that guy ducked for the ball, or that guy, you know, let it let his marker go by him, or or what have you. I mean, other than, you know, I I think I read that if you give up an early goal that's a sign of it you know correct me if i'm wrong and sure enough there was you know goals in the 10th and 14th minutes and um you know the fans though for credit them i mean you you said you had a few hundred there was you know soccer way says 1200 and i'm not going to argue with that because i think it was fairly decently attended and and when the team went down a few goals there was the universal sign of we're not happy with the situation the fans were yelling at the coach they were pointing they were uh they were sort of remonstrating angrily and, and the fans wanted, wanted a successful team and, and what, I don't know what was going on, but, um, you know, you mentioned that match fixing. I don't know if there was anyone going on. I'll always make that as a caveat. I don't know, but, um, the fans clearly wanted their team to succeed and were upset with, with the outcome. So when the comeback sort of started, they were into it and the atmosphere was quite nice. I sort of deliberately sat myself in the middle of the stand, which was full. And, uh, but you know, ultimately they fell, they sacked the coach and I think they've still sort of just been struggling to get by the last few years. And no, I mean, I'm, you, you kind of mentioned the town briefly. I mean, I should probably say a little bit, you know, with Sophia for me, I mean, I love Eastern Europe. I think it's got some of the most beautiful architecture going, but for me, Sophia was really lacking in that aspect. There were some nice buildings, but there was a lot of stark, grim, grey buildings really towering over the streets and, you know, basically to shadows everywhere. Um, you know, we just felt if there's low sun, it just felt dark. I mean, how did it feel in Rusa? Did you know you said it had a nice town square? I mean, what was what's the population like there? Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's not your biggest city. Um, yeah, I mean, there were some nice areas, but then there were areas where um, you can tell were worn and not maintained, and you could tell. Like, I mean, there was this giant abandoned. It appeared to be uh, an aquatic outdoor aquatic center with big pool, diving tower, and I thought, okay, the Soviets obviously built that, and there appeared to be some you know, lingering uh, remnants of of what might have been, because there was, a, of course, a communist period in in Bulgaria. And so, I mean, yeah, you go to that town square, and it was really quite nice. And, and they had multitude of ice cream flavors, which was really cool. Uh, and a couple of the outdoor carts, you know, you, I don't know if you had this thing where you... you, you you buy a little cup of essentially sweet corn and they mix it with butter and Parmesan and it wasn't that bad and it was cheap. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's not one of those places where obviously people will think to go. And I think it says about 150,000, but, um, in terms of affordability, uh, you know, you couldn't go wrong, but, uh, it's a cheap place to go as you mentioned. And yeah, it was just one of those places where, you know, would never have thought myself going, but glad I did. And especially with the soccer game, which really got you in because these were locals. These were, you know, families and people of all ages going out. And I think that's the bottom line of this. I mean, why this has come together, you know, me and you talking about this, because it's just what you see around the game. Because while the game I went to wasn't, no, the actual game itself wasn't that great, apart from one amazing goal. It was just a cultural experience around it and, like, you know, going to the town around it. I mean, that night I still, you know, 
I think the following maybe the following night I still went to a bar which only had candlelight and uh, you know it was just absolutely wonderful and you, you had to knock on a door to get let in down an alleyway and you know just those things that you see in these you know maybe less popular places you know I always say to you know people at work I prefer the Europa League because I feel that when you get to the knockout rounds those games are absolutely wild the atmosphere is amazing and also if your team's in that competition you're flying out to you know places like Ljubljana, you know, Sofia maybe, maybe Prague and stuff like that, you know, these fascinating cities, whereas, you know, if you're in the Champions League, yeah, it's nice to go to, you know, the Bernabeu, Camp Nou, Emirates, whatever, but ultimately those stadiums are all pretty similar, and the Champions League are trying to make that a bit of a cookie-cutter experience, whereas, you know, if you go to these less trodden places, it can be absolutely fascinating. It is, in my mind, it is you know, the most genuine cultural experience. Because, I mean, I've covered World Cup qualifiers in Central America, and the country shuts down. And, you know, I've I've been asked how many times, why can't Canada succeed, you know, in so-and-so in World Cup qualifiers? And uh, I sort of say, well, how long do you got? Because, you know, hopefully we'll get more into these as, as time goes on. But I can I can't tell you details of many games that I've covered. I really can't. The, you know, the 8-1 game, the famous 8-1 game in Honduras may be the exception as well as a few others. But what I do remember is just the whole everything else, just the whole experience of, you know, getting to a stadium, getting into a stadium, walking around, dealing with people like who don't speak my language at all and and generally just so, just soaking it in. Yeah, exactly. I mean... You know, I, I hope that listeners have enjoyed this, uh, you know, this first listen. We might be a little bit meandering. Uh, we might uh, not have actually a proper title for this podcast yet, but I think we've got a, a solid idea here where you've got a couple of travelling nerds who love the football, love the sport in general, and, you know, just like to go to places where you wouldn't necessarily think, but where you could have a real, you know, to, to a wrist sounding like a bead-wearing hippie, you can have a real life-changing experience. It can change your perspective on how you look at things. And I just think, you know, football matches, just a little bit off the beaten track, you'll learn so much more about the culture than, as I said before, going to a fishing village and having someone burp in front of your view. You know, it's just how it is. <laughs> and, of course, we might dive into some of the the bigger atmospheres as well. But for now, it's uh, in this time, this difficult time, We'll we'll share some of the the interesting times we've had. And of course, we'll we'll try to get into this a little more regularly. If you have any questions or suggestions or any of that, by all means, send me a DM on Twitter. I'm at Gavin L. Day. And I'm at Daniel J. Rouse. So yeah, if we, of course, we'd love to listen to people with your own thoughts or questions or, or feed into our own experiences that we might have that we might have missed that we'd love to share. Well, and tell, tell us your own experiences too. Like I'd love to hear some... Uh unique story from you know one of our listeners who's gone to this you know a stadium and maybe seen something completely out of this world or maybe something really depressing and boring i don't know just let us know we're interested to know we're interested always peaks by you know a bit of travel and a bit of football or you know correct any factual errors we might have made along the way which is of course always possible our research was was limited <laughs> but yeah for now let's uh let's end that there Let's uh, let's let's call that one a day. We've had a good chat. We've we've touched on our bits of Bulgaria that we've we've been to. Of course, there is a whole lot more. And uh, 
yeah, talk to you guys soon, I hope, and talk to Dan another time. Mm-hmm.